0: Hello, you're listening to Pride Life Presents, the podcast that brings you unfiltered and honest conversations with the most influential members of the LGBTQ community, hosted by me, Saski. Pride host, LGBTQ plus inclusion specialist consultant, celebrity interviewer, queer mentor, and coach. So, hey everyone, you know, welcome back to Pride Life Presents. I am so excited that we're able to bring you another show, and I'm even more excited about today's guest. As always, we have fabulous guests, but today's guest is a multi award-winning female actor who is widely known for her work in a very popular soap Uh, I'll do that because I'm so excited to (laughs) announce it Uh, playing the well-loved character Sally St Clair. In this assuming role she became the first ever transgender person cast to play a regular transgender character in a leading UK soap and is the most prolific Trans actress in UK television history. So it is with absolute pleasure that I am about to introduce the trailblazer and the legend. I will throw in that is Annie Wallace. Annie, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> how, how are you doing today, Annie? Are you good? I'm good. I've been in front
1: of this computer all day because uh, I've I'm I'm on the equity. Um, uh, general committee uh-huh. and we've had one of our monthly meetings today which lasts four hours so I'm a bit uh oh. <laughs> so um so I've just like coming to terms with that but apart from that it's a day off so I can't complain yeah can well I, I hope
0: you save save <laughs> just give us a little bit of your energy because I know you're bursting with it usually so please I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> so listen thank you again for your time because I do know how busy you are. You know we are always really appreciative of the time that people give up, especially our fabulous celebrities like yourself Um today I just really want to have, you know, I want to laugh at that. I'm sorry, I have to laugh. No, don't laugh. It's true. It's true. But also, the thing is, you know, I just, you know, I want to chat to you today about obviously, you know, your, your career, your journey. We're going to talk about, you know, how you became the fabulous Sally St. Clair, the character, your journey to that. Also, thinking a bit more about, you know, trans, being a trans person uh your coming out journey etc so there's a few things we're going to be throwing out there Uh, nothing that I'm sure you wouldn't be happy to to chat about me with today but I guess firstly just for people watching as well or listening to the podcast tell us a bit more about Sally St. Clair's character and how you kind of you know got the role in the first place because it was a bit of a, a stop start journey in terms of your acting career if I'm if that's right Oh, just a bit. <laughs> um, it stopped and started twice over the space of about
1: 50 years. So there you go. Um, in a nutshell, I at school, I went and did all the, the training and the, the certificates. And then when it came to actually going to drama school, at 18 years old, I discovered that you needed a lot of money back in the day, back in 1982. Mm. Um, You kind of had to be a bit rich uh, (laughs) because you couldn't just use a student loan like you do this, you know, now, that's the standard thing. Mm. Uh, So mum and dad, quite poor, uh, weren't able to afford to do it. So I had to just go, well, that was a dream. (laughs) (laughs) But I went into the other st- stuff that I do, which is computers, which was just really emerging into the mainstream. So uh, I discovered an aptitude with computers. So I started to to work with them. And uh, that was a, a marketable skill. So that was what I did for a long time. Um, fast forward some considerable time to uh, late 90s. I uh, found myself doing some stuff for Coronation Street, which I'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. later. And uh, I got the bug again for uh, for acting. So I just thought, you know what, I'm 35, 36 years old. I am going to go to drama school. I'm going to finance it. I'm going to do it. So I did. And um, I applied to the Manchester School of Theatre. Was lucky enough to get in on my second try. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't exactly the pay- the path, wasn't paid for the gold. I had to work for yeah. it. But I did my three years and I got my degree. And then... The work wasn't there. Mm. So I went back into computers <laughs> for a number of years. And then after the crash of uh, 2008, well, I lost my job. Mm. So basically, I thought, I need to do it now because I'm running out of time. I mean, good heavens, you know, I was I was just turning 45 and I was going, this is ridiculous. What's going on? I am running out of time. So I got myself an agent, pushed myself forward. I did one episode of Shameless. yes. Which was very rude, <laughs> as it always should but, be <laughs> <laughs> well, it's shameless, it's kind of par for the course, yes. and then i um what happened was that they started to do some t v programs which had trans characters in Mm. them for the first time, pretty much. Previous trans characters had been played by uh, non-trans actors because there was this belief that there was no such thing as a transgender actor out there, and if there was, they didn't want them. Mm. And this was changing about 2013 with uh, Cucumber and Banana by Russell T. Davis, and then there was um, later The Boy Meets Girl on the BBC, which I auditioned for, but I I wasn't suitable for it. Rebecca was much better. (laughs) And then Hollyoaks put out this thing of... We want to, we want to look at what's available out there in terms of trans talent and see what we can do with it, because they'd had a couple of trans characters before, but neither had been trans actors, so they kind of wanted to redress the balance, I think, and go, you know, we've got quite a few gay and lesbian and bisexual characters. Let's let's complete the alphabet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So myself and about thirty other people uh, were whittled down to about six, and then we were recalled and put through the paces with script work and stuff like that. One of my fellow um recall people was Ash, who has gone on to Emmerdale. So the two of us oh, auditioned together okay. at that yeah. time. And so that's well that's where our friendship kinda of started. Um because he's a good he's a good yeah. guy. So basically then they said, Okay, so now thank you for coming. It'll be about a year and I went, Oh, what, what? <laughs> And it was because they said we want to write a character based upon someone or a combination of people from this acting pool that we have. Uh, and then that takes time. We have to develop a character. We have to write it and everything. And so I, was, I wasn't was a happy bunny, but I went, you know what? It was a good experience. Mm. And then a year later, right enough, up comes the auditions and uh, and I got it.
0: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and that was seven years ago. Still there. Wow, yeah.
1: seven years. It was. It was quite a path. Yeah.
0: Well, seven years and still going strong. Still very popular character, mm. which is really is really important as well. Yeah. And also, I think important as a trans person, as a trans character, part, being part of the LGBTQ plus community. We do know, you know, media and visibility. Often people have been killed off by now or, you know, they've met with an untimely something's happened. So seven years in, I think that says a lot. It's a very positive, you know, progression, isn't it? Well, I think it's
1: something I said at the beginning. I said, um, this is not going to be a, uh, and and the phrase, and I will use the phrase in inverted commas, kill your gaze. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? But that's what it's termed as. Because quite often in mainstream drama, um, someone LGBT is brought in to be a tragic Mm. character who then um, mysteriously dies or or has terrible things happen and they go off into the sunset. Very rarely for an LGBT character is there a a happy ending. And that that still happens today, mm. unfortunately. It's still and it's normally from cisgendered actors who cisgendered straight actors who who don't have any experience and just think that I don't know. I don't know why they think we're all miserable. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> uh, so I said this this isn't what's gonna happen. No, 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 absolutely not. Mm. So it was like, okay. And it was also they wanted to to get my input into it. Uh previously, a trans teacher called Juno Roche, who's currently now a, a best-selling author, uh, had given them a lot of background and stuff about that. And then they said, we'd like your input as well. And so I didn't want to interfere too much. I didn't want to say, oh, yes, I've got this great idea for storyline, blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. But dialogue, um, I wanted the dialogue to be accurate. And they've been very good in accommodating that, as and when mm. it has been necessary. So... Given that, they wanted to invest in Sally as a character, give her a backstory, give her a family as well. So I came in. Obviously, it was a big secret. But, you know, six months after joining, it was revealed that I had this family with this son, John Paul McQueen. And then eventually they linked Sally up with Myra, her ex-squeeze. So that was that was a lot of fun to do. (laughs) So there's that, you know, that that was a good way of doing it. And I think similarly with Ash and Emmerdale, he was brought in to play Matty, who who had previously been uh, one of the Barton daughters in that family who had gone away and then come back. And there was a big conflict about, you know, why have you done this behind my back? And it was like, I had to do it away from you. I couldn't do it here mm. in in this tiny village. And you have to think, that's probably a good move. There's not, <clears throat> being trans in a village is probably one of the hardest things I can possibly imagine. I'm lucky I've lived in large towns and cities, mm. so I've not had massive issues. But you can just imagine what that would have been like. And certainly Matty has had, you know, his issues as mm-hmm. well. So for Sally's point of view, yeah, it was nice to come in with a family to kind of back her up and make her a three-dimensional character, not just a token
0: token team. Yeah, yeah. But it is true, just going back to like what you're saying about, you know, I think how reflective, I guess, the reality of actually, you know, when you talk about Matty or even, you know, your own character as being a parent as a family, it's important that it's not just about visibility, like you say, it's being a we obviously don't want to be token anything, but important that people do see that we are, you know, can have families or the reality of someone maybe having to go away and leave their family home because they, at that point, maybe weren't supported or understood and then coming back as their true authentic self is is a very common thing also, isn't it?
1: It is. And, uh, you know, Sally had... (sighs) Sally's parents have been mentioned a couple of times, but you know by all accounts, there wasn't a good relationship there, as happens with a lot mm. of trans people I mean some trans people are they're very they're very fortunate they've got understanding parents who support them and and I think these days, especially I think some younger trans people they are they are having the support and the love that actually is absolutely essential mm. for that journey. Me personally, I I left my hometown without telling my mum and dad, and, and then it was a big surprise to them. Mm. And but I knew that I couldn't have done it where I lived. It wouldn't have been possible to do. And that's an that's a common issue with a lot of trans people. I think for Sally, I think it was brave of her to come back to Hollyoaks after being living, you know, away for twenty five years, doing her own thing, building up a teaching career. But the representation you're talking about is is the key in this respect, you know. I should, for a young programme like Hollyoaks mm. to take on a 50-year-old trans woman is quite brief. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... She's she's obviously a, a head teacher, so you know the age is appropriate there. But the other hand, it's like, how is a young trans person possibly going to identify with someone middle aged who is an authority figure? And I'll be honest with you, I've had a lot of people who've said exact opposite. They've gone, you're such an inspiration, yes. and this, you know, just being on just being on television was enough to show. Yeah. Actually, I've had a life. Mm. I'm not I'm not just transitioned five minutes ago. Mm. I actually transitioned in the late 80s and therefore it's like I've gone through these decades and I've had a a successful life and that's a future to to give to younger trans people. It's not something to be frightened of. It's not something that you should go oh but well I, you know, how on earth am I going to live my life? You are going to live Mm. your life. You have to take control of your own life. Having more trans people in television I thought would by now have been the norm. Mm. Sadly the... uh, the nation national problem of transphobia reared its head
0: absolutely
1: just after I joined, and that's why you don't see any more trans people on television. It's kind of, oh, this is a bit controversial again. Oh, we better not do that. And really, there's me and Ash and Rebecca, and not many others. Yeah, I there's a few, there's a few people, but it's it's really not a good situation. I am.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, I think. That's the, you know, the unfortunate reality of maybe where we are at in terms of media and that positive representation. But I guess considering where we are at, we have people like yourself who are, like you say, able to be that openly out that visible role model and you know i know also just to touch on quickly because you are also a patron with which where it just ties in you know with, with mermaids so which obviously is a charity you know that also supports young people and families who are needing you know course it can be very isolating can't it needing that support around the whole process whether it's for the individual or for families so if you think back yourself when you were growing up who was your representative it was who was the visibility there what did that even look like I'm quite sure I can guess your answer well there was
1: only one person that was visible Mm. at the time and that was Julia Grant from Blackpool and uh, she had a number of clubs and things up in the northwest and and then she opened a couple in Manchester Mm. coincidentally around about the time when I Moved to Manchester because I lived in Scotland up until 99. Mm. And then because of the Coronation Street stuff, I moved down because I fell in love with Manchester. It's an amazing city. And for someone who's interested in the arts, it's just constantly happening, whether it's main stage productions or fringe productions. And all the artists, all the music artists come to Manchester. It's literally, it opened my mind quite substantially. And moving down was one of the best things that I could do. So by funny coincidence, through a friend of a friend, I met Julia, whose television programs in the late 70s I had watched on a tiny little 14 inch black and white television set in my bedroom with the volume turned down (laughs) so that my mum and dad didn't hear that I was watching this program. It was like a secret thing I had to watch. And I was just amazed that there was someone out there. Who I identified with and then of course we met and we become really good friends and I worked with her on quite a few events in Manchester for the LGBT community there was a couple of prides we did we did Benidorm pride together (laughs) and uh, and various other things um she sadly died a few years ago um, but she was a good friend and at the time yes she was the only person on television that had Opened her life up in a documentary format to do it this way. In terms of fiction, uh, most trans people, and I'm talking transsexual people, weren't seen on television. And trans people, the um, it was it was mostly cross-dressing men, because the public for some reason thought that that was far funnier and far more mm-hmm. entertaining. So that's what would happen on television. So in terms of um, that representation, it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And this was also at a time just around the HIV and AIDS crisis that cropped yes. up in the 80s and came to a head with that horrendous advert, Don't Die of oh, Ignorance, it was. I think, yeah. and it it, Horrible advert, wasn't it? Horrible. Mm. And it demonised the uh, LGBT community for years. Mm. It took a long time for people to recover from that. So I was going through my start of my transition at that time and... All I could do was put my head down and hope to keep a low profile. And at the time, you know, it was, I was able to blend in, Mm. and that's how I did it. Because I thought if I'd been out, I would have been. Beaten up. That was the way it was. It was a. V- it's still not an easy thing to do by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. But in the late eighties,
0: it was it was phenomenally difficult. Oh gosh. I mean, I remember the advert. I am an eighties baby, and I do remember um, you know that advert coming out of probably about eight, actually, around that time. And I remember being scared of yeah. it, and not even realizing why. But you know, so you can yeah. imagine how the impact it's had. I didn't realize I was a little baby lesbian at that point. <laughs> (laughs) but um you know but at the same time you just shows the impact of the scaremongering and the fear so you know how Mm. and unfortunately again coming back to the media and how that they can negatively impact public opinion was particularly when it's you know not based on fact is is quite scary sometimes you know we see how it's affecting the trans community in particular right now well, it is,
1: it's, it's based upon fear mongering mm. and it's manipulated by the people who oppose. So, for example, although the HIV crisis that, you know, that, that happened in the late 80s was largely, um, unfortunately, there was a lot of gay men that were having the problems, mm. uh, the amount of people and friends and lovers that were lost was just catastrophic. Yeah. Um it was used as a as a lever to say, well, the whole community is poisonous and can pass on diseases and everything. And of course, this is complete lies. And, you know, generally speaking, if there's something that people can use as a bludgeon, mm. they will use mm. it, whether it relies on facts or not. Currently, the transphobia campaign that's being led by the mainstream media, certain so-called celebrities on social media and things yes. like that, a lot of it is based on on yeah. truths. It's taking it's taking a bit of a rumor and saying, Oh, well, this is what's mm. happened. The current favourite one, of course, is oh, um trancing uh, away the gay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and <laughs> that's that, that's ridiculous. a phrase that's a phrase that was used in a court of law a few years oh. ago. No, sorry, a few weeks ago. They think that this is what happens. That if parents have a child who who comes out as gay or expresses that they may be gay, and that supposedly parents who are homophobic think it's easier to turn their child into the opposite sex so that they're not gay. Have you Ever heard anything more demented in your life? Yeah. The notion that a parent would change the sex of their child because they were homophobic. It doesn't happen. I'm quite sure somewhere in America or <laughs> some other, you know, slightly odd country. Sorry, America, you're not an odd <laughs> country, but bits of you are. Um, that that might happen. But this doesn't happen on a regular basis, remotely. But it's being used as a, as a bludgeon. I love the word bludgeon. It's being used as a bludgeon, to, 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 to kind of hammer the, the trans community. Yeah. Oh, you're homophobic. You're trying to eliminate gays. You're trying to erase lesbians. It's like It's got nothing to do with sexuality. Mm. Being trans is about gender. Yeah. Gender and sexuality are separate yes. things. And to try and conflate them is, is one of the ways that they scare the public. Mm. And when you've scared the public, logic doesn't go in. It's all about the scare factor. Yeah. So it's the same tactics as the 80s being repeated now. And don't forget, this was not an issue until six years ago. So, you know, it, it, <laughs> if it was a major national, you know, problem, we would have heard about this decades yeah, ago. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Not a
1: problem. It's simply a transphobic campaign, and I have to spend most of my time telling people no. That's not. even my one of my friends the other day said, "Oh well, I heard this," and I went, "Yeah, where did you hear it from?" <laughs> it's like,
0: no, that's not true. Would you like to know? Would you like to tell me the truth or? Oh, oh yeah, it's so frustrating. It is frustrating, you know, even for me, you know, as a part of the community, but as an ally, trans ally as well, you know, and and also, you know, as an inclusion trainer, I find, and, you know, when you say friends, family, when the people close to you as well, sometimes, everyone's entitled to their opinion, look. But I always say, look, if you make your opinion, at least base it on facts and and real information. And then and then if you still feel like that way, way, well, you know, what can we do? But at least that you're closer, you're more likely to move closer to understanding Mm. the truth and the reality of it which may then eventually lead you to become an ally and just to uh, you know and I think um, it is straining like you say so you know I, I can really kind of hear you there and I know a lot of other of my trans friends you know people within the community say you just sometimes you just need that time out don't you of course just to just re-energize and yeah yeah and and
1: correcting the lies is has become a bit of a, an onerous task mm-hmm. Because when people have the the tabloids and even the BBC (laughs) going along with what are essentially lies created by the people who want to eliminate us, and they do, because they've been recorded saying, I think we have to try and get the number of trans people down. That means elimination. Yes. (laughs) That's nothing, there's nothing polite about saying something like that. Um, and that's the problem we have. It's like, well, I read this and that's obviously a, a decent thing. I heard it on the BBC. Yes, you heard it on the BBC. And was it the same person who a few months ago reported another scare? So oh, it's the same person, right? Does that not make you think? Yeah. You get Channel 4 are currently riding high by trying to be truthful about things. And even they've kind of had problems mm. because they're surrounded by a campaign of disinformation. Mm. And when the campaign of disinformation is in a chain, so it starts small and then it gets passed along and it grows and it grows, and then the original person who started the thing, who who was probably anti-trans, is just smiling and going, "Oh, look what I created." The classic example is um, is a, a lady called Maya Forestarter, who is a who is quite a, a figure within the anti-trans movement and she's currently very very vocal. Um I believe she's a, a solicitor a lawyer and she worked for a uh, or she was uh, employed by a, a chambers lawyers mm-hmm. chambers and she was very vocal and in fact quite um uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for um evangelical there you go <laughs> quite evangelical about trying to tell other women what a danger trans people were and People in her office found this really difficult and a little bit odd. And her bosses basically weren't happy with that and they let Mm. her go. But um, she basically fought back against that for unfair dismissal and all. And then it kind of escalated into having, uh, having her opinions derided. So then she took them to court for that. So basically, she ended up winning... £22,000 from her employers because the employers had tweeted that they were investigating her. So that's uh, that's fair enough. It, yeah. uh, that's fair enough it, yeah. because that's a breach of confidence. Mm. So, OK. But she lost the other part, which was basically against Stonewall by saying Stonewall have uh, a pernicious... Unwanted influence upon employers, and they are peddling uh, trans ideology, and they have to be stopped. She lost that part of the case mm. quite spectacularly. Yeah. The next day, all the press was uh, Maya wins case. Uh, uh, Maya so ha- the- Maya has successfully won so because she that. won. Yeah, of
0: course,
1: yeah, yeah. This is what happens. It's not about mm. the truth. So she she won a payout because. Her employer had breached confidence, Mm. but she lost the major part of the uh, case, which was against Stonewall, who are trans-inclusive. And that was the the key point. But when the press are and, you know, the BBC website and everything, they're all saying the same thing, that she won the case. And and we're just sat there going...
0: Did we not think about (laughs) what got her there in the first place? (laughs) I completely
1: overlooked it. (laughs) She she is completely entitled to her opinion. This is the really important thing. People are entitled to the most offensive, unpopular, niche opinions because we're human beings and it's our right. But... Nobody has the right to then take those opinions and try and force Inside them like upon that. someone yeah, else. They can they can hand, they can say, This is my opinion, this is my opinion. What they can't do is then demand that their opinions suddenly have to be respected in mm. law because they're yeah. not. And the law is the only thing that's currently keeping trans people afloat. Because of the Gender Recognition Act and the Equality Act of 2010,
0: mm-hmm. we are protected. Currently. Well, yeah. And um, thank God. Yeah. I mean, well, this is it, isn't it? Thank Exactly that. Thank God that we do have that legislation in place. And let's just think or well, hope that, uh, you know, a, it stays that way. But, you know, this is a, a wave that our community often has to ride. I know it's really additionally yeah. tough on, you know, the trans community. Um, it, it is something that, though, I think we always... You know we are very tenacious and we are resilient, even though it's hard. Uh, but we can push yeah. forward, and I and I do try and want to believe that there are, you know, for the vast minority. And I'm going to say, minority, I do believe there's a majority of the good people that are support, you know, supportive and inclusive. Unfortunately, mm. there are this that group of voices that seem to be shouting louder, which makes them feel and look bigger. Yeah. It's 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 a small noisy mm. minority um doesn't make it any pop, better it? Just, no it doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't and I think as you know being that um kind of high profile out trans woman that you are you know let's talk about how because you then had this spectacular opportunity you know before you became you know even working at, on Hollyoaks the opportunity to help you know with Hayley Cropper's character you know because mm. you was one of the consultants on there for you know uh with coronation street talk us a bit more yeah. about that and and what that's kind of meant to you to be able to have that input you know because even at that time trans and you know that that wouldn't have really oh. spoken about that topic would it no nope. 1998 it was still very much
1: uh trans people were underground so was i mm. i wasn't out i was in the closet as it were and i at the time i was working for um uh, PC World. I was going around fixing computers for PC World <laughs> in, a, in a little in a little white car. Uh, so that, that was my job at the time and, you know, kept my head down. Everything was alright. And this came along and to begin with I didn't think it would be a good thing because I thought being a soap opera they were going to just um, mine it for laughs yeah. and everything. And to be honest um, in subsequent interviews with um, the producer at the time, Brian Park, he's admitted that part of it was that. Mm. It was like you know, Roy Cropper is a bit of a figure of fun because uh, he's, you know, he's a bit odd. Um, let's let him have a girlfriend, and turns out she's trans. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what happened was that at some point in the writing process, they decided actually we can make this a proper love story. And so, the 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 most important part of that story was the relationship between these two people. Mm. It wasn't a tub thumping political thing that they wanted to do. It was what Coronation Street did best. You know, two people meet, fall in mm. love. They just had a slight problem they had to get over in the middle bit where it was like Haley told Roy what happened and he went, Whoa. Um yeah. so the first bit, the first six uh, first three months happened completely without me. Uh but I was a big fan because I really identified with Haley mm. and she reminded me of myself. Uh, back in the day when I kind of was a bit head down and a bit kind of like getting on with my yeah, work, yeah, not as comfortable. Yeah. No, not remotely. Uh, so I was really, really taken by that portrayal. And then through a friend of a friend, through Prince for Change, uh, Christine Burns put me in touch with Coronation Street, mm-hmm. and they said they wanted someone who could give them um, a life model, uh, someone who can talk, someone they can talk to about being trans, about how how the world reacted to them when they mm. came out uh any problems during employment travel the basics that you can't read in a book it has to be related by uh pure experience yeah, experience
0: absolutely yeah.
1: yeah and shortly after i started that in um uh spring of 98 i i met up with julie hesmond the actress who played Haley. we hit it off like a house mm. on fire um uh, became really good mates we still yeah. are see her regularly and uh and we suddenly realised we had a fabulous opportunity in our hands to tell a great story and also put in some some really important things, such as, at the time, two people really in love with each other, he proposes to her, she has to tell him, we can't, can't get, get married, married yeah. the law doesn't allow it. And, you know, bursts into tears and cries... It was in the papers the next day. Oh, my God, why can't they? That's how you get to people, yeah. by showing real-life situations. And instead of hypothetical, oh, well, that's actually just two men. They shouldn't be allowed to marry. No, it's look, at it's a man and a woman who want to marry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let them, but they couldn't. And the beauty about that was it was a fantastic experience in terms of it exposed me to television, to soap and how I fell in love mm. with that. But also, we got to do some really important stories about the things that kept cropping up in Haley's mm-hmm. life, which kept reminding her of her background. She couldn't just switch off. And eventually, uh, once the kind of first wedding stroke blessing happened, even the government started to take notice. Yeah. And Press for Change had been lobbying for a long time for trans rights to to become set in law. And the final sh- thing was all the letters that people were writing because of Coronation Street, and they they agreed. They said we're going to set up a working group into seeing if we can grant legal rights to trans people for the first time. Amazing. And to think that Haley and Julie and the writers and the producers and a little tiny bit of me had any <laughs> anything going into that. Is, is just, it, it's one of my proudest achievements of being yeah. a small part of a very big tool story.
0: Yeah. Oh, listen, and I don't think you were a small part in that. I think you're being a bit modest there, to be honest. But I do think, it's, well. I, I, I want to ask you on that about, you know, because you've talked a lot very openly about, you know, your own coming out journey. And, and actually, even when you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, from what I know through research, you, you've mentioned that a few times that you was never really about the big hole Shebang of coming out of the closet in terms of, you know, being loud and proud about it, you know, so whilst you're there writing, you know, for a character in Coronation Street about their their life as a trans person and how they should be true to themselves, Mm. did you kind of have your own battle or struggle with that in yourself or, you know, because... I had no
1: struggle with it. I simply didn't want to come out, yeah. and, and everything I did for Corey was done um, very secretively. Yeah. Uh, only a few people at the studios knew. The few people, the writers, uh, the producer, um, some of the actors, who were all lovely to me. They were yeah. all lovely, and it. But it, it was. I wanted it to be secret, and that was good for Corey as well because they didn't want to do this. I think nowadays, when there's a consultant brought in about a particular um, social um, story they want to Mm. do, um, they're, they're quite keen to promote the people they talk to, like when uh, when they've consulted with survivors, Manchester or uh, pancreatic cancer charities yeah. and things. They're quite keen to say we have worked yeah. with these people yeah. and that's good for the charities as well. Back then, I couldn't have possibly done mm. that because what it would have happened is it would have affected my job, my house. When you don't have legal rights, mm. they could literally have thrown me out of my job and my house without even a blink of an eye. Mm. It would have been a case of, well, of course we can do that. Look at you. Yeah. That's how it would have mm. been. So you had to keep your head down. It just became a habit. And yes, I, I, I wasn't the most feminine person in the world, but you know what? Um, Nobody really blinked. Mm. I blended in. My voice didn't really break properly, so I my voice blended in <laughs> quite well. So that was good for me that I was able to try and have a relatively normal life. The only time that I really started to think about coming out was when I was noticing trans actors on television. Mm, And I was going, you know what? I really want a bit of that because I think I can do it justice. Mm. But to do it, I'm going to have to come out. And not (laughs) just to the family. (laughs) And not just to my friends. I'm going to have to be out to everyone and everywhere.
0: You're out of the IKEA closet now, love. That's it. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yes. With the broken hinges.
1: But the but the problem was that I, I didn't know if I was ready to mm. do it. And I sat down with my mate, Julie Hesman-Halson, and we talked it through. And I said, look, I think this could be a huge opportunity. I could find myself being a big fish in a small pond mm. and it might launch the acting career. It might get me going where I've been really quiet before then. And she was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? And I was like... I think so. Yeah. And she was very nervous for me because obviously we had known each other for like ten years previously. Uh, more than ten years, fifteen years. And she just didn't want to see me yeah, hurt. Of it's
0: that protection, and and it? and
1: I was yeah, and I was quite a nervous person up to a certain point in my life. And she just didn't want to see me get into trouble. Yeah. Uh I, I said, look, I have to take the chance with this. And I says, if I don't get the part, we do have to con- you know confront yeah. it. But I got the part. (laughs) Um, I didn't come out for the shameless one. Yeah. Because the shameless one, she wasn't a trans character. Uh, Yes, that's true. Yeah. She was just a head teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that wasn't an issue. But this particular one, trans character had to come out. Do you know what? And I say this to everyone now when I'm interviewed about it. I had just turned 50 in May and I got the part in July and it couldn't have come at a better time. 50 is a really interesting age to reach some people reach it earlier but I got to the point of I really don't give a damn what people think about me anymore (laughs) yes great I'm comfortable in my skin and my friends and my family everything's good what could you possibly do to me now and also full legal rights so couldn't be sacked for it that's true um so I just thought look say what you like i don't Mm. care and i've had to develop a bit of a thicker skin than i had but oh trust me everything's water off a duck's back now there's nothing they can do to me anymore and it's good because it's quite liberating Mm. and i was able to go okay because it is quite corrosive i think anyone who are harbored yeah yeah, it's just you're constantly having to look behind you and think oh god is someone going to make this public or Mm. That once that was taken away, and I was able to just be out. I went right. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to be out. I'm going to be uh, a, a, a visible trans person mm-hmm. on television, which just wasn't happening. And that will be my my role mm-hmm. in life. Yeah. And that's
0: that's been really enjoyable. Really enjoyable. Well, listen, uh, this is exactly what I mean, though. It's like people, it is people like yourself who are, you know putting you are putting yourself out there because I think you can be a very confident I always talk about this in my training and just in general you know if I'm talking doing talks or whatever you can be a very confident person about your sexual orientation gender identity you can be out there but the reality of the situation is is that we'll still have times where we have to be you know do that almost that you that risk assessment. Is it OK? Is it safe in this environment? Is it OK? And it shouldn't yeah. be like that. But the more you you do it, you know, it doesn't take that away necessarily. But you get for yourself, you take back the power. Um, and the more visible we yeah. are, as again, it, I think it goes back to hopefully getting more support through allyship. And, you know, people are seeing that, oh. and, you know. The so bits. important. Allies are so important. Absolutely.
1: And you know, to take to take this away from trans, 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 trans. Is I'm a member of the LGBT plus community, yeah. and that is a very diverse community of um, of sexuality and gender, uh, or non gender, depending if you're non-binary. And basically it is diverse but the one thing we all have in common is that we have the same enemies and i feel that sticking together and supporting each other is by far the most sensible method this business about the lgb alliance going oh yes we're not interested in trans people they're dangerous and they're stupid and they're weird we're just going to think about lgb people why would you do that literally why would you do it you're literally cutting off an entire section of potential allies just because you find trans people icky yes and that's what it all comes down mm. to. It comes back to ooh, that's what it yeah. is. that feeling of ooh ignorance and fear, that ignorance of and stupidity exactly. we are our community is still not safe mm, absolutely. All we have to do is look at what's been happening in America recently. We have to look at what's been happening all across the world. It, it's, it's a constant thing. We're quite lucky in Britain mm. because we have lots of legal protection. We have lots of social mm. protection. We have hate crime laws. We have specific community support officers who are out trying to make sure that we're yeah. safe. We are lucky mm. people. In Brazil, if you're trans, you have a 50-50 chance. Yeah. It's literally that bad. And the problem that we have here is that the far right have been building up their strength over the past 10, um, ten, twelve mm. years under a certain government because they haven't been they haven't been knocked down in the way that they should have been. Mm. And so they have grown up in this method of
0: anything that's different, I'm gonna fight it. Mm. Well, that's why, again, coming back to that visibility and, you know, the impact that you have, you know, because also I know, you know, like you're, you're a, a patron for Mermaids, as we talked about earlier, but your, your visibility, I mean, you must get lots of fan mail from people to say that, you know, this thank you, <laughs> I'm quite sure, you know, of the impact that you've had because still, like you saying even now there's not enough trans visibility, is there?
1: No. Um, my My patronships are... They're very hands-off. Mm. So, you know, you're talking about mermaids, also Sparkle yes. um, and Salford, uh, Salford Pride. Uh, I was a patron of Manchester Pride, but we kind of had very different opinions on things and I thought it was better to part. And I, my principles mean yeah. more. So, but I'm hands off. I support organisations that I believe are doing the right mm. thing. Mermaids has come under the most horrendous attacks recently, um, because children are involved, mm. and it's a very emotive subject. There's a lot of people who feel that mermaids are um, are endangering mm. children, uh, and I know Susie, the the CEO of Mermaids, and and I've been aware of Mermaids. They've been around for like twenty five 25 years.
0: years. yeah.
1: They're a very long standing, well thought of charity who have a massive glass cabinet in their foyer of awards because they just kept winning awards and awards from health professionals and everything for all the good work Mm -hmm. they've done. And they've been absolutely demonized over the last five years. They spend more time, they have to spend more time and money defending themselves against smears Mm -hmm. than actually doing the job. But they still do the yeah. job because it's important. Absolutely. And it's all about counselling and talking to children and their families who find themselves completely at odds not knowing what to do when a child basically says that they are trans. Mm. And the parents are usually don't know where to turn. Mermaids do a really good job. They don't prescribe hormones they don't push people into surgery mm. they don't do any of these horrible things that people accuse them of they are basically a very benign organization that are simply helping families to be happier yeah. by being by being trans um affirmative yeah. so in other words they're saying listen to the child Absolutely, yeah. there's a thing called gillick competence yeah. which was established in the 80s about um uh th- this this woman called mrs gillick who didn't want young women to be able to get the pill without their parents' knowledge. But that basically took away um, uh, body autonomy from a young Mm -hmm. person. So there was a court case that said, under the age of 16, if they are aware of the situation and they're aware of their own bodies, then they have competence. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't just apply to young women getting the pill. That applies to young trans Mm -hmm. people as well. They have the right to be heard. At the end of the day, my job is as an actor. Yeah. I I go to work at Hollyoak Studio. I read me lines. I I pull funny faces. I trip over and I I tell I, I give fake kids fake detention in the in the fake school. And I love it because it's the career that I always yeah. wanted. I always wanted to be an actor and I never thought it would be possible. So I don't just get to be an actor. I get to have that, a little bit of that Hayley Cropper yes. um, magic yes. sprinkled that I get to kind of talk about things which aren't being spoken about anywhere else.
0: people, absolutely. And young yeah. people
1: are, are listening. Mm-hmm. And yes, I do get fan mail for, for, for Sally. A lot of it is nothing to do with trance. A lot of it is just we love Sally and John Paul Yay. and all that kind of thing, which is yeah. great. And some of it, some of it is, and I'm happy to pass them on to whoever. And um, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a an advisor. I I t- I have no no feet in that whatsoever. So when people actually say to me, I've got it's quite difficult because sometimes they write and they say, well, I'm having this problem with my family and, and I feel like this and I don't know what to do. Can you help? And I literally have to be really honest and go, I'm really sorry to hear about this, but I'm not the person you to yeah. ask. I'm I'm an actress on a television programme. I'm an educated person, so I know my history and I know uh, the problems that trans people have faced <laughs> back in decades. Yeah.
0: But... But here's people to talk to. Yeah. It's not always Mermaids. It's sometimes a local organisation. Yeah, but you can sign those um, people at least as well, can't you? Or, or refer. So, I can try. Yeah. And that, that's... I can try. And it, it, sometimes it's legal stuff. Some, and I go, well, I
1: speak to Press for Change because they're really good about mm. that. Or I, I, I know some other people that kind of have had experience within the trans community and, and know their way around mm. uh, these problems. Yeah. But I don't take... I never take anything on yeah. myself because... I have, I have one job. You had one <laughs> and job. I love my job, <laughs> and I'm not getting involved with anything particularly controversial. Yeah. Uh, but but my support of mermaids and sparkle mm. um, very important to me because these are
0: organisations that are trying to help trans yeah. people. And then what's wrong, What's where's the harm? Absolutely, <laughs> and you know values and morals and and respect as well. You know, and that that's also important, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a very moral
1: person, and
0: um. I,
1: I simply believe that trans people deserve to be treated as everyone else and that for some reason is just controversial
0: now. Yeah. Well, to some but... let's, let's go with saying it's to the small <laughs> the, 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 to a to, small, the small number, big mouths yeah. it is, but to the reality, it is. and we've got enough to deal with anyway with the politics and the yes. finances of this world, which are actually it's, it's far more of concern. Yes, exactly. But I think but, Annie you know. also that's going to be another podcast. That one, <laughs> by me. Oh, I'm not getting involved <laughs> with that either. but I tell you what, I do no. want to speak about as well just is, just, is that you know you are yeah. you're a very multi talented person, aren't you? Because you know it, you 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 know not only as as the, you know the uh, consultancy work that you did about you know advising on, on character. Etc. Particularly for the trans community. As an actor, you know you you are you know p- doing great things on Hollyoaks. You're a musician. Talk to me. Uh, actually, no. Let me step it back. You've even been on Mastermind, and I know this because I yeah. yes. <laughs> Tell her, just quickly, Mastermind. How was that? That must have been fun. What was your specialist subject? You know what? Tell the audience. I know what it is. Okay. But okay. Enough. I love okay, it. My specialist subject was yes. Doctor Who,
1: nineteen seventy to nineteen eighty. <laughs> Quite specific. Yeah. Well, I couldn't just say Doctor Who because there would have it could have been anything oh, over gosh. like fifty yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, no, I'll stick it to the, to the either that I know the yes. best. Uh, but it was great. It was lovely to be invited. <laughs> and um, you know, a, a couple of people from Hollyoaks have been on before, and I thought, oh, that might be fun. Yeah. So uh, it was great. It was a really lovely experience. And and thankfully, it filmed just around the corner. uh, Well, not around the corner, but just up the road from me. So it was a local experience Mm. as well. And it was really good. I did quite well. I got got 21 points, I think. And on any other day, that would have been a winning score. (laughs) Because I had been watching. (laughs) And it was like, if I get over 20, I might win. And I got 21 and I was sat there going... (laughs) I got a few I got a few wrong but not not too bad but I was playing alongside Martin Bell a famous BBC uh foreign correspondent the man in the white suit who stood as an mp against um uh oh, the, the tatten MPs oh I can't remember their names we'll google, um, it. We'll
0: google it people
1: Christine and Richard <laughs> anyway so the man in the white suit <laughs> so he turns up in his white suit but of course he's like a bbc reporter mm-hmm. uh 20 years my, my elder world traveled incredibly intelligent <sighs> and he he thrashed me <laughs> <laughs> He got twenty four points and he won, and that was yeah. that was amazing was a lovely man though, so lovely to meet yeah. him and talk to him, because uh, uh,
0: it's like he's always been a great person. But 20, 20, so, yes. 24 to twenty one, I don't think you had only three points difference though. is not that. I still think you did really well because you was up against what by the, the man from Del Monte by the sounds of it in his suit. <laughs> yeah, he was he was he was a
1: good guy. But the thing was, yeah. I didn't win but what I did do was I walked out with my head yes. held high because I thought um, the points total I was happy yes. with but that just didn't happen on the day but you know what it was great fun it was a lot of fun <laughs> and then I've I've not I, I don't get to do much of that kind of telly guest yeah. stuff because the thing about being in Hollyoaks is you, your profile is much much lower into to the general public so I'm very well known within the LGBT plus community mm. but less so in the wider world you kind of have to watch holly oaks it. Oh. <laughs> and and we have a smaller viewing figure uh, than than of cory or or eastenders yeah. or something so that's that's the thing i'm um, quite often they don't think about mm. inviting me and, and i get it you know i'm a I'm not any listener by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you are to us, so Annie.
0: That's why we wanted you oh, on here. Oh, thank well. you. Well,
1: thank forget, you. <laughs> forget
0: all them. You don't need them. You're on Pride Life Presents, love. No, You're all right. I know, I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I haven't you, had my tea yet, you, yet for yeah. this. I'm doing well. But listen, just quickly as well. i oh, ta- sorry, go on. What are you going to tell me? Yeah, no, I know. What I was going to say was, is that um,
1: this Christmas, you'll get to see my... Um, pointless oh
0: right oh well that's good that's
1: good so yeah it, it should be around about christmas new year yeah. um we filmed it earlier on and uh well i'm not going to see how i did obviously <laughs> it would but, be pointless um, that was a lot that was a lot of fun as well <laughs> i'm a massive um a massive quizzer uh... to be honest me and my pub quiz team uh we were on eggheads I really, oh god look at you've
0: done you've listened you're, you're, just, you're saying that you, they i don't really get to go on these shows you've got a backlog. Well, <laughs>
1: Keep trying, yeah. But of course, I was—I was just—I was just, I was just, I was just yeah. me back then. So we're talking about twenty ten, twenty eleven. We got to do um, oh, yeah. Uh We we didn't win, oh. sort of but we came very very close. We were very we were holding them fairly well. Yeah. And uh, I did knock out Daphne, but you go. not literally. <laughs> yeah,
0: not literally. No violence, please. She's lovely, lovely old lady. Uh, but no, so yeah, that kind of thing. I want to do more yeah. of that. Definitely, well, well, it's, um, wonderful well, fun. 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 Well, this is the thing as well because, like I say, you are you are most talented, of, of course, very intelligent woman <laughs> as well. What? What? Tell me a bit more about your music because I know you, you showed me I, the the privilege <gasps> before we went live, <sighs> uh, folks. Uh, had the privilege. Oh look, we might get to sit now. Look at this fabulous room. Um, yes. Uh, is, is there my, anything uh, you my particularly music love doing, performance-wise, or you know, playing, singing? What What is it? Well, my my first instrument is the jumps. Oh, Wow. Yes. My, hence the digital
1: kit, <laughs> the expensive digital <laughs> kit here. Uh, that's my first instrument, and I learned that when I was very, very young. I've kind of taught myself some keyboards and guitar. I can play chords on the keyboards. I can play about seven chords on wow. the guitar, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination skilled on those mm-hmm. instruments. But I, I play with yeah. them. And more to the point, I don't do live performance at all because I'm far too nervous. But I do do recordings. I write songs. I record them on my big computer system that's sitting in front of me at the moment. And uh, that's just a big hobby. Uh... I just bring myself up here and I'll start to start to play some chords and have a bit of fun. And the funny thing is that the kind of music I write isn't necessarily the kind that I would listen to. <laughs> 'Cause I'm a bit of a rocker. <laughs> Selling yourself like, here and <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm terrible. So I like um I like uh, rock music like Queen Bowie and that kind of thing. But I write this kind of whimsy folk pop, ah. which is odd. Which you can hear on dot. Oh fabulous. Right, there we go. Nice plug there. We we'll get it out. Which is a very old, very old website with a very old photo of me. <laughs> and, and you know what? Me and my friend John, we did two albums together. We shared the singing and writing yeah. duties. And uh, we did two albums together, and we've not done anything ever since. And that might be it. But on the other hand, I do have a load of songs kind of stored up. But I'm not—I wouldn't call myself a a real musician. I'd call myself a hobby hobby musician. Okay. So I do it. I do it for fun. I certainly wouldn't do it uh, public. I might sing the songs in public, but playing instruments is a wholly different matter. Well. Um, and I'm actually, I'm actually working on a one-woman show, which may have that in it. Oh,
0: is there anything you can tell us about that or is this all top secret at this point? No, no, it's it's
1: semi-autobiographical. Um, it's right. going to be an hour, hour and a half mm. long with an idea of taking it to Edinburgh perhaps, wow. but it's going to be that kind of thing and maybe about four or five songs in it as well. We're going to wait and see. I'm, I'm currently writing yeah. it, but I've been writing it for six months because I keep walking away going, no, this is rubbish, this is rubbish. <laughs> But and then and then Julie phones me and she
0: goes, get on with it. And I'm like, so yeah, it it will happen. It will happen. Yeah, a working masterpiece that we we, that we've Mm. got. (laughs) Well, that maybe that's exciting. That's exciting. Before we kind of round up, because um, again, there's so much, and I've really loved chatting with you. I'm sorry, I'm talking. Oh no, listen, if you didn't, (laughs) I'd be out of a job. So I love that you talked so much, Anais. Oh, I've you. loved listening to you, and I know that I'm excited for this to go out because you know you've you've talked us through the journey. I feel it's been you know we've talked about the history, the political side, where we're yeah. at for the community, um, your career, you as an individual, your music, you know your music career, but also your back catalogue of of TV shows that you. <laughs> That you're yeah. on. What what does Annie Wallace do when you're not doing Wallace? what? What's your kind of chill out, chillaxing kind of go to? Uh, maybe a and T included. I don't know. But what 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 does it no, look I'm, like? I'm I'm one of a I'm one of a cider. A cider person,
1: of, to be oh, I see, I see. I okay. love oh, a big cider connoisseur. Not not of that. Not of the proper stuff. <laughs> Just what you get down be, the off then is it? Has <laughs> to be fizzy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, um, uh, that is my that is my tipple. Yeah. Cider. No, um. Oh gosh, my switching off time is basically sometimes it's music, Mm. sometimes it's uh, films. I'm a massive film buff. I I have a home cinema system in my lounge uh, with a screen that comes down and a projector. So it's not. By the way, for those of you listening, that's not because I'm a rich actress. I'm not a rich actress. (laughs) I work on Hollyoaks. No. No rich in love well, no, the, the, uh, the projector on the screen cost me about a thousand pounds, and I got it mm. and I've got it put in um just before lockdown and it was the best thing in the world, Yeah, because I was able to kind of do, have a cinema night in my own house
0: oh, amazing yeah, and
1: because I'm such a a film buff it's it's just really nice to just switch off and no adverts, no distractions, just beautiful surround sound and everything that's my thing yeah and then and then I suppose a bit of a bit of Gaming, bit of a PS4. I'm a gamer, okay.
0: Gamer, see this? What I'm talking about? This, you never stop, busy, 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 doing all these, all these things. Currently playing The Last of Us Two, which is fantastic. (laughs) I'm, I'm a bit of a kid at heart, really. Yeah, but I think it's that switch off time, isn't it? And gaming is a big, big. Industry, actually, now isn't it? Mm. You know, so there's lots of people kind of doing that. What would you talk about being a big kid at heart? What would you, before we kind of come to a, a close, sad close, I'm going to go, Mah. what would you tell your younger self considering your journey and and where you're at now? Or, you know, even maybe younger viewers, um, fans, or people who may be going through maybe similar struggles that you've been through, went through, you know? Well, because of, so I left school at, uh, 18 mm. and
1: I went straight into working in the shop and I waited a few years before I actually pursued transition because I had mm. to be sure yeah um I would tell my younger self get on with it <laughs> <laughs> get on with it get it done and, and also everything's going to be fine there yeah. is a world of people out there who will support you and love you unconditionally. If you are LGBT+, plus, you will find a family that will support you and will love you. And sometimes your family isn't the one you were born with, mm-hmm. it's the one you choose for yourself. Yeah. And they will be probably better for you in the long run. I'm not saying families are bad. I'm just saying uh, if your family, if your family doesn't agree with your life and who you are there's loads of people out there who will love you for who you are mm. and for those of you with loving families hold on to them and love them because they will be there for you
0: till death. Yeah it's very true thank you for that and I think that's such an important message uh, that people will need to hear you know and be watching this as well because that is so true maybe your 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 family isn't always your your you know the family you're born into mm. and more about your chosen family and and like you say, know that there are those people out there that will be there and will support you. And it may be a yeah. bit of a turbulent time, sometimes up and down. Yeah. But, you know. Can I just say, can I just say, however? Of course.
1: Um, my dad didn't react well. He wouldn't see me for 15 years. Mm. My mum came round within six months. Yeah. My sister, however, my sister Linda. Hello, Linda, mm. if
0: you're listening. Hi, Linda. Has Has been there since day one. Has Great. been my support and my rock, and I love her. Yeah. Or well, I love her too because I think that's maybe we would have a different Annie Wallace if you didn't have the, you know the, that support as well in, in, in your life. So thank you to your sister, awesome. uh, and thank you Annie. Listen, thank you absolutely so much for uh, coming on to our Pride Life Presents podcast, uh, talking to us, and just being your fabulous self. Continue, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the on the the next the next TV shows, the new album that's coming out, the Christmas um. album. <laughs> I've just thrown that in people watching. I have done a couple of Christmas songs, but, you know. (laughs) Well, there you go. You see, you heard it here, folks. So I look forward to whatever you do in the future because I know it's going to be fabulous. And just listen, thank you once again. Um, Everyone, it's been amazing. It's Annie Wallace thank you so much (laughs) thank you thank you and people who are listening and watching to today's podcast just to round up and say that you know this is part of the pride life presents shows and we are always really appreciative of anyone whether you're part of our lgbtq plus community or not being part of it as allies as well and pride life is always about inclusion about being your true authentic self so again and a inspiration amazing and thank you so much Thanks for listening to the Pride Life podcast with me, Saski, and my special guest. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found something useful or empowering to take away, or maybe even both. To find out more, visit www.pridelifeglobal.com, where you can find all our digital editions to the UK's leading LGBTQ magazine, plus much more. Or keep up to date by following us on Instagram at Pride Life Global.